2: Good afternoon, Bay Area. Uh, For those of you who are observing Veterans Day today, uh, which uh, my children's school is observing that today, uh, to all of you veterans out there, I want to say thank you so much for what you've done for our country, uh, both in the past and those of you who are doing it today. Uh, My father actually happened to be Um, a veteran of World War II in Korea. He was in the Army Air Corps, then the Army Air Force, then the Air Force, uh, was a career Air Force officer, retired in 1968, and then moved the family out here to Santa Clara County here in the Bay Area. And uh, I have lived here ever since that time. I am grateful um eternally grateful for the sacrifices that my father made in the military. If not for my father being in the military, I would not be here today because he and my mother actually adopted me uh, in North Africa where I was born. I was born in Tripoli, Libya to an Italian mother and then adopted by my parents, Colonel and Mrs. Bergman and uh, then brought back to the United States. And I've been raised as an American ever since then. And I'm proud to be an American citizen, naturalized. I am proud to have had a father like I had who served in the Air Force. And several ever other members of my family have also served uh, in uh, everywhere from the Navy and the Marine Corps uh, to the um, Army and the Air Force, and the Coast Guard. I want to also give a shout-out to my father-in-law, father-in-law Walter Lotz in Chicago, who is a veteran of the Coast Guard, and I know uh, he was proud of the time he served in the Guard. He actually spent a fair amount of his service stationed here in the Bay Area at Alameda. So he has stories about uh, traveling into San Francisco on Liberty uh, when he got off of the uh, cutter that he was stationed on. I also want to give a shout-out to my friends who are uh, former Marines. I should say once a Marine, always a Marine, uh, celebrating another birthday of the Corps this past uh, Wednesday. Uh, Especially a shout-out to my good friend Jimmy, who is another dad, of uh, has a daughter at my children's school, and uh, he and I actually uh, coached volleyball a couple of years back, coached the girls' team for our girls' grade. Uh, Jimmy is a Desert Storm veteran and former Marine Force recon sniper, and uh, an all-around great guy and a great dad, and uh, I have many friends who uh, are Marines. Uh, meaning they served. So to all the Marines, happy birthday, Semper Fi. Now, I want to let you all know that uh, I am going to be having another estate planning workshop. I introduced that last week and announced that. If you're just tuning in for the first time or if you want a refresher, my workshop will be on December 4th. Saturday morning from 9 o'clock a.m. till about 10.30 a.m. at the Silicon Valley Business Center on Camden Avenue at Lee Avenue in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. If you'd like to register, and I've actually opened up the workshop to more people being able to register, I have space for 30, actually 29 now, because... Uh, someone has registered already for the workshop. Uh, you can do it any one of the following ways. You can go to eventbrite.com, search for Estate Planning Workshop on December 4th, and then register there. You could go to my website at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. Click on the link for seminars and workshops, and then you can click there and register. Uh, It will take you to Eventbrite so that you can register. Or if you uh, feel that you are challenged with online registration, which sometimes people are, feel free to email me uh, at radio at lawbob.com. Email your first and last name, your email address, and how many spaces you would like to reserve for the workshop. Um, I will then input the information in Eventbrite including the number of spaces you wish to reserve and submit the registration so that you will actually get an email confirming your registration. This workshop is free. It has been well received earlier in this year, the couple that I've done before. Uh, people come away with a better appreciation of estate planning, what issues may be involved in estate planning, and what issues are the most important to them and to their families. And that's kind of the purpose of the workshop, is to explore estate planning issues and their importance for you. I'm also there to answer some questions, not all questions, because some questions are better handled In an actual consultation, Uh, I do not charge for consultations of any kind. Uh, People can actually book a consultation with me by going to my website at lawbob.com and clicking on the link to book a call. You're then given the opportunity to select an in-person meeting, a Zoom meeting, or a telephone meeting. And then go into my booking calendar and find a date and time that works best for you. You can book calls for estate planning, for special needs planning, for trust or probate administration, or for uh, various types of court petitions. Whatever it is that you need to do, you can book through that website Uh, you'll get a 15 to 30 minute free consultation with me uh, to discuss the situation that you're facing and then determine whether or not I'm the right person to assist you with your particular situation. Now today for the balance of the show, I'm going to follow my usual format, which is reading questions and situations from around the state and then giving uh, answers or commentary on what the issues are that are raised and some of my thoughts about what possible solutions would be. So we have roughly a minute and a half left in this first segment this morning. Thank you for staying tuned, if you stayed tuned. Uh, I'm going to cover one issue right now that is actually a pretty straightforward one, and that is... This Uh, this lady says, um, I have a revocable living trust and my husband and I had poor wills. I'm being told that as my husband has died, I must file his will with the probate court. Since we have a trust, why do I have to file a will with the probate court? Friends that have handled trusts in the past have not done this. The short answer is it is a statutory requirement that whoever is in possession of someone's will must file or lodge it with the court, even if it's not likely to be needed. The failure to do so could mean potentially that if someone needs access to that will and they can't get it and they suffer some kind of financial damage or hardship, they may be able to sue you for not filing the will with the court. So we're ending the first segment today. When I come back, we'll continue with more questions and comments. This is attorney Bob Bergman.
1: This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW.
2: Hi, welcome back. We're going to continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio. In this second segment, I will let you know if you'd like to call in and ask me a question online uh, on the radio here. It's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. That's 800-516-1220. Feel free to call in. My engineer is standing by if you'd like to ask me a question on the air. Okay, moving on. Here's a question that I'm sure actually comes up now and then around the state. And this person's, I think, uh, asking, um, they write like it's for somebody else, but I think it's probably, you know, one of those asking for a friend kind of thing, which means actually asking for themselves. A married couple own title on a home as community property, not with right of survivorship. They have separate wills, with separate powers of attorney and separate beneficiaries of those wills. Can either spouse put their interest in the community property into their own trust? Since it's just their interest, half the home interest they're putting into the trust, do they need cooperation from the other spouse who owns the other half? The key to all this is the properties owned as community property. And with community property, you cannot actually transfer the title of any portion of community property essentially without the permission of the other spouse. So in a case like this, yes, the spouses would have to cooperate in order to divide that property and then each handle the property separately from each other um that being said if it's just owned as community property and not with a right of survivorship a spouse could make a will directing that their share of community property goes to specified beneficiaries other than their spouse and that would mean that uh when the will is admitted to probate that um the half of the property that was owned by the spouse that that died and had a will directing it to go some other direction um, that would actually be taken over at at that time okay Uh, let's see i'm going to skip that one because that one be a too complicated answer okay here my ex knew i was looking for property and so he recently became aware um and he recently became aware that when his parents died the land was passed on in his family he and his brother were notified that they became partial owners of property with the passing of their parents when my ex said i could have the property that had houses on it we ran into a few obstacles through my own research It came to my knowledge that someone unknown to the family, as far as my ex can tell, is saying that she's the owner of the property, and it shows that there's a revocable trust in play. What does this mean for me? Okay, what this means is that uh, an attorney needs to get involved at this point. Um, A full report needs to be done uh, determining what the title of the property is meaning that a title search needs to be done to figure out just what the actual uh history of ownership of the property is uh it may very well be that um that the property actually was transferred or sold by the parents before all of this happened and there really was not any passing on of the property before the parents or or when the parents died Uh, but this would all start with a search of the legal title uh, maybe even a preliminary title report from a title company going back and showing the history of transfers dealing with the property if the property shows that there's someone that owns it in their trust and it's not these two brothers that is where i would start uh, and and if it turns out that the transfers were legal, or the transfer was legal and it's been a long time ago, well then, basically uh, you're kind of out of luck. If the transfer was fraudulent in some way and was just discovered, there may be an opportunity to go to court to have the transfer overturned. Not very likely, very difficult to prove fraud, unless there was an act of forgery involved or. Something like that. But um, that is what I would do there. Okay. um, Can I buy my deceased parents' home from their trust and use Proposition 19? My parents passed here in 2021. Their home was in a revocable trust and I'm a beneficiary. All the beneficiaries want to sell it and are in agreement to let me buy it from the trust. I'm over 65, sold my home in August of 2020, and will live in the new home as my primary residence. Can I transfer my property tax base, Prop 19, if I purchase my parents' home within two years of selling my home? Hmm. Boy, that's a, that's an excellent question. I, I think there's two different parts of Proposition 19 here. Um, uh, And uh, I think purchasing any property at age 65 as a residence, you'd be able to move your property tax base from your prior residence over to that. It really has nothing to do with it being your parents' home or buying out Um, other beneficiaries. It has to do with you purchasing and using the first part of Proposition 19, which has to do with moving your property tax base from one existing residence to a new residence because you're age 65 or over. Uh, It has nothing to do with the second half of Proposition 19, which is being able to preserve a property tax base if uh, a child Uh, takes over the parent's home, and the child makes it their own residence. So it's an interesting question. I think the first half of Prop 19 would mean, yes, you can move your property tax base over, and it doesn't matter that you're buying out your siblings, for example. Uh, You're covered under the first half of Proposition 19. You're not going under the second half of Proposition 19. Okay, We're coming up on the mid-show break. Um, When we come back after that break, I will continue in the third segment with more uh, questions and comments from around the state of California. Uh, I want to remind all of you that I do have a workshop coming up December 4th, Saturday morning, 9 to 10.30 here in Cambrian Park area. You could register through my website or go to eventbrite.com and search for the estate planning workshop on december 4th so this is attorney bob bergman host of plan your estate radio and i'll talk with you on the other side as we go into the second half of our show today
1: now back to plan your estate radio with attorney bob
2: bergman And welcome back to the second half of the show today. Okay, so let's go on with some more questions and comments. Um, This one is a little off the track for estate planning, um, but it was asked uh, by someone as an estate planning question. I'll see if I can field it anyway. The person said, My legal guardian passed away recently. My biographical father still has rights for me and my brother. At the moment, I'm staying with my legal guardian's sister. My biological dad is trying to get my brother and I with him. It's my understanding he can do that, but I don't really want to live with him or my other family. I didn't grow up with my dad, so I don't really feel that I'd like it. And my other family, I just feel like an extra mouth to feed. I signed some paperwork that lets my dad take us, but I'm not sure what my other family will do when they find out and if they accept me if I still do that. Could I just go into foster care? All right. Um, uh, this is a really kind of a concerning situation. Um, depending on how old this person is and how old the brother is, um, they might very well ask their uh, legal guardian's sister if she would be willing to petition the court to be their guardian and take over uh, from the legal guardian that passed away. Uh, even though the father, uh, biological father does have parental rights, a court also has the authority to decide what would be the best thing for um, a child, uh, the best living situation for them and the best care situation for them. If the, um, the, the two children are um, of, of a certain age, uh, once, once they get older and older beyond about the age of 12, the court will actually entertain input from the children as to where they would like to live, who they would like to care for and raise them. So for this person, I'd say talk with your former guardian sister and see if she would be willing to toss her hat into the ring and and actually um petition the court to be appointed guardian uh the court still can decide uh that these uh these kids are going to go with their biological father but the court could also decide that they're actually going to go with someone else as a guardian, someone that they would prefer to live with. Okay, so here is um, a question that I think will um, be of interest to a lot of people out there. Question, what is the easiest way of giving my property to my adult children at death without the court being heavily involved? All right. Person said, I have two adult children who I've listed on all bank accounts as pay on death to them and on my retirement accounts as beneficiaries. Totaling approximately $250,000 for all assets, with the majority being in the retirement accounts. I own no real estate or car, which means what is left to the contents of my rental house, not totaling much. What I keep reading online is that if I write a will, there would need to be an executor and that the whole process is overseen by the court. Let's pause right there. Having a will or having no will at all has the same legal effect as far as probate court is concerned. The issue is whether or not assets subject to probate court exceed a certain dollar amount. That dollar amount under the current law is $166,250 in the name of the person who's died or payable to the estate of the person who's died. This person indicated the majority of her property is in uh, retirement accounts with name beneficiaries and the other things are in pay-on-death bank accounts those particular assets would not be subject to probate as long as this person's adult children survive her, okay? And that is because they have designated beneficiaries to receive them at the death of the owner, which means that having a will or no will um, doesn't matter. No probate would be triggered. Um, in a similar fashion, though, having a will would at least direct, you could direct that the contents of your house, how those are distributed. And as long as the value of those is not more than that 166250 two fifty, which I seriously doubt, then it can just be taken over by the adult children, divided up as they see fit, and uh, and that will be the end of it. I will give a caution, though. This will work, provided that the adult children survive the parent. If they're in a crash together, like a car crash together, going out to celebrate the parent's birthday or something, and they're all killed, the parent's assets will end up having to go through probate because there will be no living beneficiary to receive them. The safer thing to do would be to still create a trust and a will that directs everything to go into the trust. But if beneficiaries don't survive, uh, especially on a retirement plan, uh, if you had a trust, you could name the trust as the backup beneficiary on all of those assets. Just in case something happened to the children, Um, not likely, but does happen. And is possible. So for this person. I would say the plan that you have. Will probably work. But I'm not going to put that in writing. And guarantee that. Because I can't predict the future. I don't know what's going to happen. To you or your family. And in what order. Here's someone saying. I've been living with my boyfriend for five years. He's been hospitalized. How long may I remain in his house? He has a long-term illness and may not be returning anytime soon. His children may want to force me to leave. What legal options do I have? Well, first of all, for his children to force you to leave, they would either have to have power of attorney from their father, giving authority over his financial affairs, or Um, or be successor trustees of his trust if he's incapacitated. And the key is if he's incapacitated. As long as the boyfriend is hospitalized but not incapacitated, like mentally incapacitated, the girlfriend can stay in his home as long as she wants and as long as she figures out how to pay for the bills and utilities and everything else to, to keep things going. Um, otherwise the girlfriend is what is called a tenant at will, which means if the children had legal authority to take the property over that was granted by their father ahead of time, then, um, you could stay as long as, um, as they have to evict you. And depending on where you live, there may be, um, Obstacles to evicting you that have been imposed because of covid. So that's kind of a, a vague answer, but it's kind of a, a vague answer to the question because there's no real way to absolutely answer the question. Other than um, if the boyfriend is still legally incompetent, <coughs> excuse me, um, then his girlfriend can continue staying in his home, especially if that's the pattern that they had. And uh, that's enough to say about that. Okay. How many witnesses does it take to make a trust that was drawn up by a lawyer for my uncle but not signed or notarized? How, how many does it take to make it legal? It's out of Lake Elsinore, California. Okay, it says my uncle had a trust drawn up by an attorney but passed away before he could have it signed or notarized. But there are many people that know of his intentions, and they wanted, wanted, how many people do I need to make the situation legal? The answer to the question is zero. There's no way to make the trust legal if your uncle died before signing it. If he had signed it, it would not need to be notarized legally. Witnessing it has no effect on signing a trust. Um, the fact that he didn't sign it. Means it's done. It doesn't matter. If he. Um, if he went. And uh, told everybody on Facebook. I'm going to. I have a trust that I want to leave to this person. Everything to this person. And I'm going to sign it tomorrow. But then he dies. Possibly. Possibly. A vague argument could be made that it was an oral will, but an oral will, as we say, is worth the paper it's written on. And uh, there's probably really nothing that can be done at this time. Okay, we're coming up on the end of this third segment of the show, about a minute to go. And uh, I'm going to see if I can get one more in before the final segment here. Okay. All right. Now I'm going to save this one until after. Okay. um, Okay, I'm going to save that one. Tell you what, I think we'll just wait and come back after the break uh, to cover a few more questions in the show today. So this is Attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And I'll see you on the other side of the third and final break for our show today.
1: Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning, trust, and probate law specialist, Attorney Bob Bergman.
2: And welcome back for the final segment of our show today. I think I'm going to just cover one more of the questions and comments and then uh, close my show with some uh, final thoughts. Okay, this person said, I'm a named beneficiary on my deceased ex-husband's work, life insurance policy, 401k and other benefits. We've been divorced for 15 or so years, but he's since remarried but was separated. His brother is the administrator of his estate, and asked me to waive my rights since we were divorced so long ago, and then allow this money to go to his current fiance and family okay i'm not <laughs> I'm not following this, so he's remarried and separated, but he has a current fiance and family says I've been served by the attorney representing the administrator and the deputy counsel for his employer with the declaration stating how much is being held as part of the estate and the portion I'm named with. Is it worth hiring an attorney for probate litigation? Okay, well, let me just kind of make some observations. First of all, uh, life insurance policies, uh, if you don't update a life insurance policy with a new beneficiary designation, it will go to uh, whoever is named as the beneficiary, including an ex-spouse of 15 years. So my analysis so far is the life insurance would go to this person because it's a life insurance policy. The 401k plan naming the ex-spouse as beneficiary by the rules of 401ks the only person who can be named as the beneficiary is the person's spouse. And uh, and if the person is no longer a spouse and there's a new spouse, the new spouse would have to agree for the benefits to go to the prior spouse in order for the prior spouse to have any legal claim to them. So based on this, I would probably opine that the 401k plan is entitled to go to the second spouse from whom this person uh, was separated at the time he died. I don't see anywhere where these monies would go to this person's current fiancé, which is interesting, to uh, and family, which means this person basically is engaged to be married while still separated from uh, from a current spouse and apparently started a family with this fiance. And I think the only way it would end up with them is if there was a will by this now deceased person leaving everything to them. Um, but again... If the insurance goes to the first spouse and the 401k goes to the second spouse and then other benefits would likely also go to the second spouse uh, I can see why they're asking uh, probably uh, both the divorced spouse and the separated spouse to waive rights so that everything can actually go through probate and go to the fiance and the new family Uh, I don't know that litigation is involved here and and I don't know that uh the the other parties kind of trying to force things would be that successful because the laws concerning 401k plans and life insurance policies are pretty straightforward and uh, and I don't know that there would be any uh particular reason why uh, why they would be able to uh, overturn what the law really provides. So we just have a few minutes left in the show today, and I wanted to kind of repeat something more or less from the beginning of the hour. Uh, if you're just tuning in, I wanted to first of all say to all of our veterans out there, are uh, who who have ser- who have served who served, who have died. And then to those who are still serving today, thank you so much for the work you've done in keeping our country safe. It is um, a comfort to me and to many others that uh, that you are there, that you are serving, um, or that you served in the past. So thank you so much for that, um, to... Uh, I want to give a shout out to my dad, who's been gone now since 1999, who was an uh, Army Air Corps, Army Air Force, and Air Force veteran. And to other members of my family uh, who are now gone, like my Aunt Anne, who was a an Army surgical nurse in a mass unit in World War II. And, uh, and to my father-in-law, Walter Lotz, who is a Coast Guard veteran. Thank you so much for everything you did. Thank you so much for those of you who are still serving. And um, that's pretty much all I have to say about that today. Have a great weekend. I should be able to be back with you next Friday. So until next Friday, thank you for listening. This is Attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And you have a great weekend. Goodbye.
1: You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman.